X Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com. And this week, I'm joined by special guest, Kristen DeMorenville, and she is the CEO and founder of Anzin Sage, which is a cybersecurity firm that specializes in protecting food companies. So Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. So tell me a bit about why you decided to start uh, Anzin Sage. Sure. Uh, Anzin Sage actually has been probably uh, an imaginary baby for a very long time. It's something I've kind of had floating around in my head. As I've moved through industry and different consulting firms, as well as um, different industry, food manufacturing, electronics manufacturing, things like that, I came to the realization that we're all generalists really in cybersecurity, which is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. But I think with the food industry and specifically within the critical infrastructure sector, you need to have a little bit more. So oil and gas is a great example. We have really specialized cybersecurity people within oil and gas. Why not food? Why not agriculture? That's why I was I decided to found it because I really think that it's been an overlooked critical infrastructure Perhaps I don't want to like completely say that, but I think a little bit of it has people forget that food is important because it's just something we do every day, sort of like breathing. People forget breathing is important until you have trouble breathing, you know, that kind of thing. So that's why I started it. Um, I just felt like it was time that we niched into it and um, it's uh, really been great. So what's the inspiration behind the name uh, Anzen Sage? Very unique. Sure. Um, Anzen is the Japanese word for secure. And sage is both the herb or the herb for those of us listening in the UK um, <laughs> and also a wise person. So a sage, wise person, that kind of situation and culture. Um, I have a real love for Japanese culture and the country because I spent so much time there when I worked at Sony and I wanted to pay homage to that and honor that part of my journey and my career as well as um, it was a little bit cheeky with Sage, of course, both the wise person who knows about security within food and also, um, you know, the herb itself. I love the double entendre there. It's wonderful. And speaking of your career, tell me a bit about it. Um, and have you always been involved with cybersecurity? No, I haven't. Um, actually, when I left high school, I thought I was going to be a history teacher. So I originally went for a secondary education with a um, a second uh, degree in uh, American history. That's what I thought I was going to do. Uh, very quickly realized, thankfully, because you know when you're 19, you think you know everything. Realized it was not the thing for me. Um, I actually left college for a little while and became an esthetician. So I did makeup and weddings and facials and all the things that involve around skin. And then um, I realized quickly from that that I was burnt out and need to move through that jumped into HR for a hot minute, realized no way. I give so much credit to my sister because she does HR and I cannot. Um, and I got the opportunity to become a, a tech admin essentially in a large um, consumer electronics store, um, which eventually was acquired by Geek Squad. So I actually was the person who drove around the Geekmobile for a little while. I was one of very few women that were doing it. 
Um, and it was probably one of the most amazing jobs I had ever done. I've done so much. I could tell stories just on that alone. Um, however, that led me into IT, obviously. So I was doing troubleshooting and hardware repair and networking and all this other fun stuff. And I had this real affinity to working with people and making them understand technology as well as how it can improve your life and not stress you out. So it sort of became this natural thing for me. Um, and then I flew into security because it's kind of the natural progression, either you become a sysadmin or a database or a cloud. And I just went to security. Um, but I was really hesitant going in actually uh, because security is one of those uh, types of divisions where they tell you what the problem is, but they don't help you do anything about it. And then they make you feel horrible that you have the problem in the first place. And I didn't want to be that kind of person. So I've really spent a lot of time thinking about people and process and culture because of my time in IT and probably customer service and all that other fun stuff um, that really made me more well-rounded in security. So yeah, I've had a 25-year career now. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I'm, I never thought that I would wake up and say I'm a security professional because when I was five, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And I could say that. I think actually it was a marine ecologist or something. I don't know what I said. However, it's really funny that my life has kind of turned this way. Um, I do not hold a degree in cybersecurity. I would like to make that clear to anybody who's listening as well. You don't need a degree in cybersecurity to do this. Um, I have a degree in environmental management, which pairs very well with food and obviously agriculture. Um, and my focus was on conservation. So I worked with a lot of animals, gorillas, polar bears, you name it. I have a whole thing I can go down with that as well, but I won't, <laughs> I'll spare the listeners. However, um, just know that you can come into security at a different angle. It doesn't have to be like straight through school. What an awesome career trajectory. That's, that's incredible. I'm, um, and, and you did touch on this a little bit, but, um, you know, why is the food industry a target for cybersecurity incidents? Um, and, and why does it deserve, you know, a, a specialized, um, field for cybersecurity? Sure. Um, well, there are a lot of bad people out there. Let's be real. Um, one of the biggest ways to take down a country through a nation state attack would be its food supply. Um, that makes it a target by definition right there. Um, also, I think too that people and process are not always looked at within those environments. And obviously we know technology isn't the problem. It's people that are around the technology that are the problem. So I think a lot of the way that things have been done in the food industry aren't going to keep up with the fast pace of technology being added. Um, and that is a real big problem. Um, We've seen in many different instances recently in the media about how um, there was a 30-year-old technology that hadn't been updated in that time frame. And when they did do the update, it like blew up whatever it was working with. And we don't want that. We want to be able to gradually and gently go into the new and phase out of the old. Um, and that also means personnel as well. These people who work in these industries, they've been there for 30, 40 years that's some serious tribal knowledge I personally don't want to lose because I know that's going to make me a stronger security professional and be able to help them and guide them through different, difficult, resilient activities because of that tribal knowledge. And I think that that's the delicate balance there. Um, we've got old legacy technology, old legacy processes that are being bolted into the new AIs and the new automation, which is wonderful and exciting. And then you have to worry about all the contamination that's going into that, whether it's packaging and traceability and all these other things that the food industry is worried about and the food defense people. I mean, I was at a 
industry dinner the other day and we got talking about what is the actual definition of terrorism in food. And that was really kind of a crazy conversation because it's not what people think it is. Um, a disgruntled employee who had a bad day, who didn't get a bonus or wife was upset or husband was upset, goes from the peanut to the non-peanut area. That's terrorism. Like it's crazy how to think about this and start changing your mind and how to, how do we respond to that as security professionals? Cause I think we have a responsibility in that as well. Now, what are some of the risks associated with a cyber attack? What's at stake for, for companies that are attacked? The long and the short of it is human life. When it comes to food and agriculture, it's human life. It's not just the consumer and the public, it's the people working and serving us as the public. Um, I think that that is what gives me a lot of passion for my particular field is I have this really uh, purpose-driven action because I'm saving lives as well as helping technology and data stay intact and obviously secret and and confidential, of course. Um, But it really comes down, it's just basic, it's life. We're just trying to help protect life. That's pretty eye-opening. I, I, I honestly expected to hear, you know, money is at stake, maybe other things, but that's absolutely true. Um, so I completely understand why the food industry sort of needs its specialized um, cybersecurity. Um, now, are there any recent examples of some cyber attacks, you know, within the food industry that come to mind? Sure. Um, actually, you just reported on one just recently. I did. Double package lettuce. <laughs> that's right. Um, Absolutely. I think that that ransomware is such a, a, it's such a garbage thing, right? Because it's ultimately the person necessarily didn't do anything wrong that was dealing with it, or the company wasn't necessarily having bad security practices. It was just one weakness that was exploited at the right time and at the right moment. Um, And this is what I always tell people, hackers, bad actors, whatever you want to call them, bad people, um, they are the most patient people in the world they will wait and wait and they'll test too they'll they'll see how far they can get and they'll hold back before they actually launch the whatever attack they're going to do and this is why i think i I always tell people especially when they're coming new into the industry learn to be patient learn to wait learn to look at everything from every angle because that's what they're doing how are we going to keep up Um, so that the ransomware is frustrating too, because a lot of the times we won't get all the data of exactly what happened because nobody wants to share that information because it has to, they have to admit that they did something wrong potentially. Um, this is also why I've said over the years, and I continue to say this, that security is really about mitigating shame. This is all we're doing is mitigating shame and shame is literally the worst human emotion we have to deal with because it causes people to do all kinds of things, right? So having that empathy and compassion to be able to go into a situation and say, I don't care what happened. Let's just get through it. We need to make you more resilient so you can survive these attacks. Um, Cause ultimately it's going to continue to happen, not just to the big boys like Dole and those, it will be the small subsidiaries. It'll be small farms. What would happen if a small farm got hit? They would be destroyed. It would be horrible. Um, not only that, but the target would be bouncing into the newer, the bigger and the, the badder, you know, parent company. So it's really one of those things where you have to kind of just take a look at the lens of it and and with compassion and, and empathy. And do you find that the you know laws are keeping up with these sort of cyber crimes? No, <laughs> they do, are trying. Um, I have to say that I do believe there's some really good men and women um, that are working to make these 
uh, laws or regulations a little bit stronger. I believe right now the term I've heard is it's a soft, hard hand um, regulations, which basically means laws are coming, which is good. But again, inside of these manufacturing environments or production environments for food, whether it's cannabis or wine or beer or, or lettuce, it doesn't matter. Um, it's not the same in every manufacturing facility. It's not the same even in every single company to every single factory. So I think that frameworks and regulations are a good starting point, but if they're going to be made into law, they have to take into account supply chain. They have to take into account like cold storage. They have to take into account of automation and production lines. And it, they're not all the same. So you can't just have the same. The nice thing about regulations though, is they create one rhetoric. So you take the automotive industry, for example, who has created these great policies and regulations that are gone out. It created one rhetoric. So they're all talking about the same thing at all times. That's great. But then again, we all know that most of the food industry is privately owned. So are they going to want to do that? Probably not. So um, again, we go back to square one of how do we get to have people have these conversations and share this knowledge, mitigate shame. Now, according to your website, um, Anzen Sage helps food companies minimize their cyber risk and protect their reputation, assets, employees, and profitability in the face of a cyber incident. So walk me through what that looks like when you're working with a client. Sure. Uh, a lot of it comes down to is kicking over the stones that they haven't wanted to kick and opening the doors they haven't wanted to open. Um, I can tell you that from experience and a lot of times inside these facilities or other sites, uh, there's always something that's a little off, whether it's a server room inside a lady's room, which I've seen, or um, when the racks are full in a warehouse, which they didn't think to test when they did a heat map for the networking um, for the Wi-Fi, uh, that it stopped working because their racks are full because Wi-Fi signal doesn't go through flower. Like it's these little things, these little nuanced things. It's that legacy knowledge. It's getting to know the people in the process because people ultimately end of the day just want to go home right? That's what they want to do. Nobody woke up in the morning and thought, I want to work in a factory because that's what I want to do for my life. They were there because they have to be there. So all they want to do is get home safely to their family with a paycheck. So ultimately they will bypass any security restrictions or controls to do their job. And I really, I respect that, but it also makes it that I have to think harder and faster than they do as well. So like, let's get around this. Um, so a lot of the times when I go in, I actually have conversations, not with the security teams. I'm talking to the production teams. I'm talking HR. I'm talking to anyone who's on the floor, operators, their management staff, and figuring out what's the issue, what's stressing you out, what's causing production to slow down, and what's not keeping people safe. What are those questions? And a lot of times they think that I'm going to be some stuffy security person that's just doesn't know. What I do that's special is I go in and I, I deal with the culture. I have conversations. It's like walking into a bunch of aunts and uncles. It really is. You got to earn your right into the family. And I, because I understand that upfront, I can get further down the line. Um, and I think that that really helps. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to create resiliency and resiliency starts with the people. Obviously I could do an assessment. I can do all those things about your tech, which I would do anyways. You get a report, you get all that fun stuff. So what do you do with that? Because a lot of people get a report and they're like, oh, great. You know, they just chuck it in their desk or it goes in the trash. That report needs to be consistently looked at. Remediation activities, I can help with those kind of things. I walk through that with people. Um, if they just had a report done by one of the big conglomerate, big four, I'm not picking on them, by the way. I think they're great. I take their work too. Um, 
what happens is that that report is just like a bunch of words that people don't know how to, to speak in their own language. Again, it's that rhetoric problem, right? Because they're not specialized, they're generalists. So I'll actually help break it down. Okay, these are the things you need to do here, here, and here, and here. Tell me about what your future plans are for the next three years, because I want to know what automation and AI and all their really cool, fun tools you're going to do. Blockchain is what everybody likes to talk about, of course. Um, let's figure out how we can get you there, because we're going to have to do a few things on the back end. And also security and IT have to be at the table when you're going through all the discussion of buying with procurement for all these different equipments. So it's all of that kind of mixed into one, but the bottom line is it's making sure that the culture between security, IT, the operators, or anyone who's closest to the product, whatever it is, and uh, the culture of food safety, defense, and, and security are all mixed into one into this resilience culture. And that is really what I that I specialize in and I've done throughout my career is really bringing through that resilience culture because that if you people are resilient, your company is going to be okay. Now, in your experience, have you found that clients generally have like a good awareness of cybersecurity or are you finding that oftentimes they might be starting from scratch? Um, and also, have you found that anyone has new or old has been sort of resistant Sure. Um, I think a lot of people think of security as what they've learned from either their kids or anyone in their circles. Um, and obviously the security awareness training that everybody has to take because compliance, which I don't inherently think is a bad thing either. It just needs to be tailored for whatever is going on in your facility. Um, yeah, there's always resistance there. You're like, I changed my password. I don't share passwords. That's the one of the first things people always said to me. I have a strong password. And my response always is, that's great. I'm really glad that you understand the importance of that. Inside of my head, I'm just like, oh, God, that's what they think security is, is passwords um, or two-factor authentication, which is, again, it is part of the process, but it's so much more. It's actually, it's an attitude. It's about being aware of things. Um, I always tell people when they go into a facility that's making something, don't get stuck on the shiny, which means the stuff that's on the belt. I don't, I don't care particularly what's on the belt. It's whatever is that it's great, but I care about what's around it and interacting with it and who's near it. Um, and I always tell people don't get stuck on the shiny. This isn't the VIP tour. Um, because of that, people don't realize security is a part of their everyday lives and it will be increasingly become part of their everyday lives. And I'm not trying to be the conspiracist or any of that kind of thing, but there's cameras everywhere. We've probably, you and I probably have 16 different devices that are listening to us right now. I mean, do you really want all your devices to hear everything you're saying? That's why phones are not allowed in certain places inside of these facilities. That's because not only the camera, because it listens. Also, we don't want their, the cell phones on the Wi-Fi. I can't even tell you how many times I've gone in and I've seen people's personal cell phones like Bob's iPhone. Bob, why are you on the Wi-Fi? What are you looking at on your phone? Like I have so many questions and I don't necessarily want all the answers. Um, the resistance comes, I can't do my job because da, 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 X, Y, Z, your controls are bothering me. Okay. Well, tell me what you have to do to do your job and let's figure out how we can work around that. If people just sat down and had those conversations, it would just make the biggest difference. Cause again, in all reality, these attacks happen because the bad actors or hackers have found a way to circumvent and work through your culture system. I'm really understanding the the patience factor now, definitely coming through. Um, yeah. So how important is it to be, and I know we touched on this a bit, but like industry specific when it comes to cybersecurity and, um, and I don't know if I asked you this specifically, but why did you choose food? Sure. Um, 
I'll start with, I cut my teeth in industrial technology and ICS security, industrial cybersecurity, um, when I was at a food company, a bakery company. Um, ingredients, finished products, frozen, you name it, I probably touched it. Um, there was a lot of uh, distribution of actual food in certain places, like Las Vegas is a prime example. And I had the uh, the privilege of uh, really building a program and figuring out what it was. So really my first tip into all things industrial was food. So it made a natural reaction to it. However, if you want to take it all the way back, I originally, when I was a volunteer at the National Zoo, I was feeding all the animals in the commissary. So I kind of started my journey in food and starting to think about how we can be more secure in food because of zoo animals. It's kind of crazy to think about how it kind of all circumvented back that way. Um, however, I do think that um, we do need to niche down and we need to do it sooner rather than later. You can't expect generalists to solve all the problems. I'm not picking on anybody who's a generalist either. Um, in a lot of ways, I still am. But we need to be able to focus on the critical infrastructure in a in almost a silo capacity Whereas before everybody was trying to break down the silos, but how can you protect something if you don't know the ins and outs of how it works and how it is? Um, that's like going to the doctor and the doctor saying as an internalist, like, Hey, I can definitely cut open your stomach right now and fix your intestines. Wait, no. What do you have? Would, have you a training in this? I have so many questions. I need to go to a doctor that can do that specifically for me. Um, and I think that's where we need to start thinking. And I was actually really worried that when I decided to niche down, because I've I've had a lot of roles in my career, um, that people would be resistant to it in the community, um, the security community. And actually, everyone is starting to agree this is where we need to go, because we can't just be these generalists. We need to go to the specialist. Um, and I, I'm hoping that the industry as itself, as the food industry, will start embracing that as well. Um, so and I know that the questions are going to come of competitors. Of course, everybody starts asking those questions. Um, sure, all the consulting firms secondly are my competitors in a capacity. A lot of them do work in the food industry because of the generalist nature. But in terms of another cybersecurity firm just focusing on food, I have not met one yet. I would love to meet one. I want to work together with people. I'm all about partnership. Like, how can we do this? How can we make things more secure? Um, but for right now, the bigger firms and the mid-sized firms, yes, they do handle food companies, obviously, and they are in there. A lot of them do certify and things like that. Um, yes, I guess technically there were competitors, but at the same time, I don't see it that way because they are focused so generally and I am so focused on food. So thank you. You answered that question. Um, and I want to know, you know, what can we expect from Anz and Sage in the future? Um, and what are your goals for the company? I know it's relatively a new company. So yeah, where do you see it going? Um, I think I... This is funny because someone recently asked me if I was a freelancer or an entrepreneurial spirit. And I've started to answer my own question of this recently that I believe I'm more entrepreneurial because I really do see several companies I could click off from this company. Um, I do think Anson Sage is almost too broadly focused on food. Um, I think that I could probably break a company out on just focus on cannabis because that's the wild, wild west. Nobody's talking about that um, on a security level. Um, and also there could be a really like a select function for just wine. That's a whole under industry that's just like, it wants to be in its own spotlight and as it should be as an avid wine drinker. Um, I think that I could break those companies apart at some point, but for now, until we get to a place where there's an ability to be a more of a split, I will probably, but that's, that's the future I think I'm going for. Um, 
on a personal level, I probably will start up a media company as well. I have some ideas for some kid books about cybersecurity and, and food and things like that. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. I guess I'm more entrepreneurial than I realized because I'm like, been spinning all these ideas lately, um, which I'm really excited about. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm thinking. And speaking of that, I mean, what does a day, normal day look like in your life? Sure. Um, actually it's talking to a lot of media. Um, it's writing a lot of articles, uh, is a lot of interviews. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I do speak to a lot of clients. I get taken on a lot of partner, uh, trips to meet different professionals. I belong to a bunch of professional groups. I also mentor in cybersecurity too. So I do spend my days speaking to a lot of, um, uh, women that are coming up or trying to change their career, um, and those kind of things. So a lot of it comes down to article writing and things like that. So working with clients as well, um, of course, pitches, we all know how this works, pitches and uh, various different topics of discussion with uh, clients and then client work, of course. Well, I appreciate, you know, you taking your time to speak to one of the many, you know, people in the media that I'm sure you're going to talk to. So much appreciated. This has been an awesome conversation. So thank you so much for joining. Wonderful. So that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you and see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.